Okay. Um, I think that's it. So, now then, try to maintain some continuity here because, you know, the, the, the word of the Lord in 2018 has been rich. And, uh, I mean, it's been really rich. God is, is, I think he's opening up his heart and showing us things that we've only touched on before. He's going, he wants us to go deeper with him. Uh, you say, you're always sending out something, Pam, but, uh, someone said something the other day in one of those many things that you send that they sense a call like that to go deeper or closer. Do you remember that? Who was that? Yeah, there one. I think there was another one as well. So that seems to be a word out there in the spirit that God is calling out to His people. Hey, you come up here. I want you to come here. I want to be closer with you right now. Nothing wrong with that. So, you know, something obviously has been going on in our world for quite a while, and uh, you know, it really started uh, coming to a peak uh, at the election of Donald Trump. That I think initiated. Big change in our world. And it will not stop until it's done. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's a kingdom clash that's happening right now in front of us. And we're a part of that. Now, the Bible speaks to that last moment of history with what they call, what Hebrews 12 calls, the second shaking. He said, once more I will shake heaven and earth. Everything that can be shaken is going to be shaken. That's a, that's a profound thought. When you think everything that can be shaken will be, it's got to be corporate, you know, everything all over the place, and individual as well. In my life, what can be shaken? What's, what's right and what's wrong in me? Psalm 139, maybe you ought to ask God to search that out with you to find out. What are you standing on? In your life. Because if you're standing upon a rock, you'll be okay. But if you're not, or if you're halfway there, you're going to have some fun. Now, as I see the church being transitioned into that time, I see three steps that the church must take in order to be used by God in that time. Being sent out by God for that time. I see three steps that he's been speaking to. Line upon line and precept upon precept in this church, and I think in others as well, after what, reading what our scribe gets for us. One of them is in Exodus 33. Turn there. You're going to find all three of them actually are right here. Exodus 33. The first shaking was when Moses brought the covenant to the Jewish people at Mount Sinai. The earth shook. That mountain shook, freaked everybody out. So there's much to, to be learned at that time frame. You know, if, you, if there's only going to be two in history, maybe we ought to look at the other one just to see if we can glean something so that we'll know how to conduct ourselves in the time of the second shaking. So here's three steps that you must look to if you want to be well in the times that are ahead of us. You can't stop what's coming, folks. It's coming. Exodus 33, Moses is speaking to uh, what needs to be done, the, the shaking that's gone on, he, and he's into a different realm with God than he's ever been. And God has said, okay, I want to, 
The promise had always been, I want to send you into the land I promised to Abraham and all your fathers. And now you guys were sitting here waiting to go, ready to go, and you blew it. But we fixed all that, and now he's sending them anyway. And the question is, is will God go with them or not? And so they, they fixed that. God, if you don't go with us, don't send us, because you are our reward. So we're kind of picking it up there in verse 15. And here's step number one that we must take if we're going to be successful in what God has ahead of us. Number one, then he said to, uh, he said to God, if your presence does not go up with us, do not bring us up from here. For how then will it be known that your people and I have found grace in your sight except that you go with us? So we shall be separate, your people and I, from all the people who are upon the face of the earth. Step number one. Are you willing to take that step of being separate from all the people that are on the earth? You think about what that means to you. I mean, that's a profound statement. Separate from all the people that are in the earth. That's pretty pretty stark, don't you think? So make it personal, folks. If God came down and they said, okay, today is that day, what would you change? Would you change anything, number one? But I'm sure you must to be separate from all the people that are in the earth. What would you change? Make it personal. Anything. Anything. What would you change? You should ask yourself that question. Do a Psalm 139 on that one. And he says the word separate is a wonderful word. It means to be different. But better than that, or more than that, it means to be wonderful. To be a wonder. Are you willing to have your life looked at as something really different? Even wonderful. Now, before we go too far with wonderful, understand this. Then in God's definition of a wonderful, pala, it includes a big time blessing, but it also includes this amazing acts of judgment. Every one of those ten plagues that he did in Egypt, God says, I will do wonders. That's how he described them. The wonders that God did are called the ten plagues of Egypt. So he will, he's, he's asking you, would you be different? Because he separated his people from all that stuff he did in, in Egypt. And would you do different? Would you do acts of wonder as well as being different? Okay? Step number one. And he's asking you, the people, would you? You don't have to. But the question is, would you? Step number two. Let's just keep reading. Moses, in verse 18, says... Please show me your glory. Then he said, I will make all my goodness before you, pass before you. I will proclaim the name of the Lord before you. I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious. I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he says, you cannot see my face, for no man shall see me and live. And the Lord said, here is a place by me, and you shall stand on the rock. So it shall be that while my glory passes by, I will put you in the cleft of that rock, will cover you with my hand while I pass by. So the second step, number one, will you be separate? Number two, will you go to that place that is next to him? There is a place by God 
But we kind of re- alluding to it all morning long in the song service. Lord, be lifted high. Let me go over there where you are. There's a place by him, folks. Never saw that in all the years of my ministry. I never saw that until this year. As soon as I began to speak about it, people that I know, I don't have ministers, reacted like I did. They had never thought about that before. But they heard that in the Spirit. God is inviting us to a place that's unique, a place by Him on a rock. And that place, it prepares us for the third step, to see His glory. And we see that third step down in Exodus 34. Let's go down there. Started verse 5. Now the Lord descended in the cloud. He's about to show the glory. And he stood with Moses there. And he proclaimed the name of the Lord. Here's the glory of the Lord, folks. It's his name. I love that last song. Your name. It contains all that God is. Here's the name of the Lord. The Lord... Verse 6, the Lord God, merciful and gracious, long-suffering and abounding in goodness and truth, keeping mercy for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgressions and sin. I would call that the blessing side of the name of the Lord. All that good stuff. 7b, but by no means clearing the guilty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children and the children's children to the third and fourth generation. So Moses made haste and bowed his head and worshiped. So the, the glory of the Lord is contained in his name and the fullness of God's name has both blessing and whatever you want to call the other side, judgment. Would you call it judgment? Justice. Yeah, that's a good one. That's pure actually. So, he will not clear the guilty. But he makes a way for the guilty to get what they need in blessing. If they were just admitted. It's hard for people to do sometimes. Those are the three steps. Be separate. Go to the place that's next to him. And number three, receive the fullness of God. The fullness of God. The good and then the other side as well. Then once you do that, we can move on to like, like these guys did. You can move into him sending you as his witnesses. Verse 9. Then Moses said, If now I have found grace in your sight, O Lord, let my Lord, I pray, go among us. Even though we are a stiff-necked people, this is still true, and pardon our iniquity and our sin and take us as your inheritance. And he said, God says, behold, and look at this verse. Behold, I make a covenant. Before all your people, I will do marvels, or palas, wonders. I'm going to do wonders before all of you, such as not been done in all the earth, nor in any nation, and all the people among you who, uh, who are shall see the work of the Lord. Now look at the last line of verse 10. It is an awesome thing that I will do. With you. That's interesting. It is an awesome thing. Here's how God is, here's how I hear this. What God is saying, well, first of all, you ain't seen nothing yet. But what's really amazing 
That thing that you ain't seen yet is awesome. I'm going to do it with you. In other words, you and I are going to do it together. How about that one? You and I are going to be teammates. We're going to work together. And it's going to be awesome. And it's going to include wonders. Palas. That's what he said. So that's where I see him wanting us to be when Jesus comes back. Is that last line that we just read. Amazing thing. Sending us into the world and take down his enemy. Because that's what happens from here on out. I'm going to send you to the promised land, all those Hittites and night brothers. I'm going to take them out and put you in. All right? So, we see this thing in the New Testament in Revelation 11. Turn over there. Revelation 11. And this is one of the, uh, the big new things that God has been really pounding on among us with various folks is this chapter. And you see these guys or this, these characters do exactly what we just read. Exodus I mean, 33 and 34 is fulfilled here, Revelation 11. And this, of course, is in the middle of the tribulation period, or the last three and a half years of the th- tribulation period. Just look at the, the wording here. It's hard to get away from it. Verse 3. I will give power to my two witnesses, and they will prophesy 1,260 days. That's three and a half years. Clothe the sackcloth. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands standing before the God of the earth. Standing before the God of the earth. They found that place next to him. And they're standing there, just like Moses did. They're standing there, these two witnesses. Now, without going to a lot of detail, I'll just say it again. Again and again, it's been proven. These two witnesses, it are, they are the church eternal. The Jewish portion of the church and the Gentile portion of the church. They all believe in Jesus. They come together. They are the two olive trees. They work together during this last time to do what God wants done on this earth. All right? And they stand before him, just like Moses. They, they went there, and there they are. And what happens when they're there? God's glory is going to be revealed. And how did we see it with Moses? All this blessing, right? A bunch of stuff on the blessing side. And justice or judgment on the other side. Watch what they do. Verse 5. If anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds from their mouth and devours their enemies. If anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. They have power to shut the heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecy. They have power over the waters to turn them to blood and to strike the earth with all plagues as often as they desire. Does that not sound like what Moses did in Egypt? Does that not sound like what Elijah did on Mount Carmel with the prophets of Baal? He stopped the rain for three years until they repented. And then he caused it to rain by his word that he heard from God. So what are these guys doing? They are executing the covenant of God. 
And while they are, folks, and this is what the Lord's been showing me, I've been waiting to get to the, the moment where I can say this. They are mere, they are only mirrors. They are just a mirror. So whatever people do around them, it reflects right back at them. So if they covet them with blessing, then they will be blessed. If they covet them with a curse, then they will be cursed. I don't have to do nothing except stand there, just like the Word of God. The Word of God is a mirror. You look at it to see what you are. And if you go at these guys one way, it'll come back at you the same way. He says, in the same manner that they do, it'll be done back to them. This is just like Jesus said he would be. In one of the parables, he talked about, oh, I think the, the guys with the talents. One guy was, three guys, two, three guys involved, two did well. The other one just sat there and complained and told God he was a hard man. And here's what Jesus said to that man. He says, out of your own mouth, I will judge you. You said this, so it will be. You said I was hard, get ready for the hard. Out of your own mouth, I will judge you. This is what it's going to be like at the end. The church will be his witnesses. We're not supposed to go out there and find someone to rebuke. We're not supposed to go out there and, and, and march on city hall. We just have to be salt and light in this world. And whatever people do to us at that time, bam, it bounces right back at them. You all get this? Two witnesses. He's wanting you to do that. He's asking you to be a part of that. Can you? I think so. You know, really all this is, is a complete fulfillment of what God promised Abraham. Turn with me to Genesis 12. Now you kind of get a, a 30,000 foot view here of what God is doing. He creates man in the garden. They mess up. And everyone did what was right in their own eyes, and it wasn't working very well. To the point where he had to send a flood. He wiped them all out about 1,600 years after they started. It wasn't going well. And then Noah comes, you know, and repopulates the earth. And for another four or 500 years, it's still not going well. But God had a plan to redeem all of mankind. And he had to find one man that he could establish his covenant with. One man. His name was Abraham. Now, as we approach this day with Abraham, I want you to understand what he's doing with Abraham in the context of the New Testament, especially this verse. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. You know that verse. That whoever would believe in him would not perish, but have everlasting life. That's God's heart. But read the rest of John 3. Because at the end of it, it talks about if you don't choose it, then you're by nature choosing darkness and you will die in your darkness. Was it God's will that you die in your darkness? No. He made it very clear. He so loved the whole world that he gave his son to die for everybody's sin. Everyone. That's his heart. But what comes out of our own mouth is what we will get. Either I confess that he is Lord and receive the blessing and the, all the good stuff that he does, forgiveness, or I refuse it and I get the reward of that. 
Did God do it? I did it. I did it. I chose it. And that's what's going to happen at the end. We will be a part of that work. Let's read that first covenant. Genesis 12. Verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Get out of your country, from your family, and from your father's house, to a land that I will show you. I will make you a great nation. I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And I love this last line. And you shall be a blessing. God says, I'm going to bless you. And you shall be a blessing. How? Well, I will bless those that bless you. I will curse him who curses you. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Let's talk about this for a minute. This is an amazing scripture. How? What is he saying to Abram? I will make you a blessing and then all this stuff. What he is basically saying is this. Abraham, I'm going to make you the medium through which all things flow. The avenue through which all things flow. How? Well, I'm going to make you a mirror. I'm going to make you a mirror. So whoever comes to you and blesses you, boom, through you, because you were there to hear that, then through you comes a blessing right back to that person. That sounds pretty cool, huh? That's the Abrahamic covenant. And you walk in that covenant. You should be a blessing. You should be the avenue through which blessings flow to other people. And how? By their attitude toward you. By their attitude toward you. If they come to you with blessing, bam, it bounces right back at them. What if they come at you the other way? If they curse you, God says, then I must curse them. Because it's the covenant. If they curse you. Now, this is interesting. He uses the word curse in the English twice, but there's two different Hebrew words. The first one, if they curse you, it is this word kalal. And it means if they just treat you lightly, or even to the point of treating you with contempt, then God says, and this is the NET version of the Bible, it says, then God says, if they treat you lightly or blow you off, or even to the point of contempt, then I must curse them. Different word, arar. I must take them out of the blessing zone and put them over here in the darkness zone. I must. Y'all with me? Did I do anything? No. And this is wonderful. I don't have to be mean. All you people that get freaked out by Al Houghton, you don't have to be mean. You don't have to napalm the people. And here's the other side. And you don't have to be nicer than God. You just have to shut your mouth. Now that might be hard. That is hard. You're the avenue. Isn't that cool? That's the Abrahamic covenant. Well, he's the mirror. Just like those two witnesses. Well, can I prove that in the New Testament? Well, yeah. Galatians 3. And I could have picked out a bunch of scriptures here, but the point is well made by Paul all over the place. And we'll just use this one here in Galatians 3, verse 13. 
Christ has redeemed us from the curse of the law, having become a curse for us, for it is written, cursed is everyone who stands and hangs on a tree, that the blessing of Abraham might come upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus. The blessing of Abraham. What we just read comes upon the Gentiles in Christ Jesus that we might receive the promise of the Spirit through faith. Look at same uh, same chapter. Look at verse 29. If you are Christ, then you are Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. So you're the heir of Abraham. What God promised Abraham, he gave it to Isaac, he gave it to Jacob, and he gave it to you. In Christ Jesus, if you believe in him, then all those things which God said to Abraham, they are unto you. Pretty cool stuff. Pretty cool stuff. And part of the cool stuff that he promises here, the blessings, I mean, how, how, how do you define a blessing? You know, we're supposed to count our many blessings, name them one by one. There's an old song. How does a blessing look to you? You know, the one that comes immediately to my mind, for me, just this is personal to me, is the scripture that says he will never leave me or forsake me. That's a blessing. That's personal to me. It means something to me. That's how I would define blessing. I could go on and on with others too. How do you define it? Well, one of the blessings that the Bible defines as the best is the fact that you are heirs of the promise. And the promise is the Holy Spirit. Look over in Acts chapter 2. You get God with you. God among you. Emmanuel. And Jesus, even though he's with the Father, has sent the Holy Spirit to take his place. And so when... He left earth and went to heaven. He sent the Holy Spirit on the day of Pentecost. He fills the, he fills these twelve and everybody's in the upper room with them with the Holy Spirit and they begin to speak in tongues. Blew everybody away in Jerusalem. Everybody could hear what these guys were doing. And so it opened the door for the beginning of the church. Peter begins to preach. Three thousand people get saved. Here's what he says to them. Acts chapter two. He says, <clears throat> Verse 36, now let all the house of Israel know surely that God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. Now when they heard this, they were cut to their heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, repent and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of your sins, and you shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is to you. And to your children and to all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. And that ain't never stopped. I don't care what church you go to. They have a hard time with that verse if they don't speak in tongues. There you go. It's the promise of God. He promised it to you. Of all the gifts he would give, he gave that one. Why should we resist it? Because, I don't know. Chapter 3, there's more to it than just that. Chapter 3. Peter preaches again, and in verse 19, repent, he's preaching again, repent, therefore be converted, that your sins may be blotted out, so that times of refreshing may come from the presence of the Lord, and that he may send Jesus Christ, who was preached to you before, whom heaven must receive until the times of restoration of all things which God has spoken by the mouth of all his holy prophets since the world began. So part of the Holy Spirit's work is to do that right there. 
bring times of refreshing to you from the presence of the Lord. And to work the work of restoration of all things so that when Jesus comes back, he will have a bride that looks like him. Well, that's a big work, isn't it? Restore all things. Restoration is a part of the blessings of the Lord. But so are times of refreshing. And maybe they kind of go together. And matter of fact, look over in, in Psalm 68. Psalm 68 is an interesting psalm. Because it, um, it refers back to the time of the first shaking. Now, I said earlier, if, we were, if we're approaching the last shaking, maybe we ought to look at the first one to see if we can learn something. As to what we should be looking for and doing and being. And so this psalm has a little something for us to say. Verse 7. Oh God, when you went out before your people, when you marched through the wilderness. Uh oh, that's the Jews. Look what happened. Verse 8. The earth shook. The earth shook. So this is the first shaking. When God took them out into the wilderness, the earth shook at Mount Sinai. What else happened? Well, the heavens also dropped rain at the presence of God. Sinai itself was moved at the presence of God, the God of Israel. And you, O God, sent a plentiful rain, whereby you confirmed or refreshed your inheritance when it was weary. And your congregation dwelt in it. You, O oh God, provided from your goodness for the poor. God, I love that verse. I love that section there. That is an amazing thing. So in a time of this shaking, in addition to that, which can scare the liver out of anyone, especially if you're not walking with God. But in that same time, God is sending out a plentiful rain. To refresh and confirm his people because they're weary. I'll take it. I'll take a load of that. And I love this part here. And your congregation dwelt in it. That See, that to me is not just some throwaway sentence. That sentence is there for a purpose. And here's what I see it meaning to me. Your congregation experienced something of the presence of God. There was, there was something they knew, they learned that they didn't know before. Something got inside them because they were there. And now it becomes their testimony. Something unknown became known. Something they didn't have became theirs. And they become a witness. They are now a witness. They dwelt in it. They lived in it. So, kind of brings us up to something that I think i got to ask you this question. Has the city of refuge ever dealt in rain? And in restoration? Have we ever dwelt there? Anybody? Well, let's just look. Look at Leviticus. This is an interesting thought. Leviticus 26. Now, when Moses was given the law and all that stuff, you know, the portions of the covenant that they need to walk with, we find ourselves, he's given it out for the first time, Leviticus 26. The top of that, the caption says, the promise of blessing and retribution. 
or as Sister Pam would say, justice. <laughs> the promise. Now, we pick up the promise, the blessings, in verse 3, and it goes through verse 13. So, do the math. I think that's 11 verses. The judgment or the retribution starts in verse 14. It goes all the way down to verse 39. And if I'm not mistaken, that's 26. So he says a lot more about the bad side than he does the good side. Right? But look what he starts off with on the good side. Verse 3. If you walk in my statutes and keep my commandments and perform them, here's the first blessing. Then I will give you rain in its season. First blessing. Rain. And why? So that the land will yield its produce. And the trees of the field shall yield their fruit. So when God wants to start his blessing, his covenant with you, the first thing you're going to notice is his rain. The rain from his presence will come into your life and suddenly you will become a fruitful person. Jesus said you'll bear lots of fruit. 30-fold, 60-fold, or 100-fold. How much do you want? You can abundant, no matter how you cut it. 30 times what you started off with, that's a lot. I'm, I, I like the 100-fold myself. I want to go there. But that's the first thing about the promise. The first blessing reigned. Well, but if you don't do it, if you treat it lightly, like he told Abraham, if somebody comes to you and they treat this lightly, they don't esteem it, and God says, then I must take them out of the blessing zone and put them in the curse zone. I must. The covenant demands it. And so he does. I mean, you know, he does. Like in verse 25, that's where he starts doing it. I will bring a sword against you. I mean, he does a lot of them all the way up. But look at 25. I will bring a sword against you that will execute the vengeance of the covenant. When you are gathered together within your cities, I will send pestilence among you, and you will be delivered into the hand of your enemy. And that's just kind of a nutshell of the entire section on the curse. It won't go well with you. And there's layers of it. I mean, he starts off with just some popping, and then he gets worse and worse and worse if you don't turn. But if you do turn, verse 40, if they confess their iniquity and the iniquity of their fathers with their unfaithfulness in which they were unfaithful to me, and they walk contrary to me, I will, walk, I will turn it around, basically. That's his covenant. All right, so the point here is rain is the evidence of the blessing. I wonder what lack of rain would mean. The opposite? I think so. Look over in, uh, how do I want to do this? Zechariah. I kind of waffle back and forth between these two. Zechariah 8. Well, we know what happened to the Jews. They did blow it. And they started worshiping idols. And uh, making covenant with other nations that God said don't do. And they ended up being in the fullness of the curse. They left the blessing zone. They basically were, saw the mirror 
of their actions. When they approached God in the right way, they were blessed. When they approached God and treated him lightly, boom, out of his presence and into captivity they went. Now, in Ezekiel, did I say Ezekiel? I mean, yeah, Zechariah, he speaks to these people when he brings them back. He finally does what they did repent. He brings them back. And look at Zechariah chapter 8, verse 11. Here's a message. This is an interesting scripture here. Verse 11. God speaks, says, Now I will not treat the remnant of this people as in the former days, says the Lord of hosts. In other words, you guys have been living in the curse zone for 70 years. I'm not going to treat you like that now. Verse 12. Here's the difference from what you've been experiencing for the last 70 years. For the seed shall be prosperous. That sounds like blessing. The vine shall give its fruit. The ground shall give her increase. And the heavens shall give their dew or their rain. Here comes the blessing. I will cause the remnant of the people to possess all these. And it shall come to pass... That just as you were a curse among the nation, O house of Judah and house of Israel, so I will save you and you shall be a blessing. In other words, the Abrahamic thing. Do not fear. I want to talk to you a little bit about verse 13. And this NET version of the Bible is really cool in this. As you were, I want to take you back to where you were. Should have been a blessing. But we saw that what that meant was a little bit more than what it just implies. He first says, look, let's look at the way you have been. You were a curse among the nations. Now, when they were doing bad, were they a, a path through which curses went to other nations? Or No. No. They were acting like the other nations. So he's not saying, okay, even when you're being bad, when someone comes to you, uh, they're not gonna, you're not going to be the mirror anymore. What you're going to be is a formula for, for defeat. You are the formula for curse. They're going to be able to look at you and figure out, because it ain't as obvious as it can be, they're going to be able to figure out how to get from a good place to a lousy place, because all they got to do is look at you. You are the formula for entering into a curse zone. That's how, if anybody wants to know how, look at your life. But now what I want to do is I want to send the dew from the heavens. I want to rain upon you. I want to make you fruitful. And you will become, instead of a formula for being cursed, you will be a formula for being blessed. People can then look at your life and say, here's how you get to the good stuff. Now you've got to walk in it. My wife has lived this. She's said this so many times. With her kids growing up. Why would I want to be like you? Your life. I need a better word than what starts with an S and ends with an S. Your look stinks. Why would I want to be like that? Marriage is hard. Your kids are, you know... Uh, Nothing seems to work for you. You smile just to hide your tears. Anybody live there? 
If this is so good, then why are we crying? Formula for curse. Agreed? But he wants to make you a formula for, for success, for blessing. How does he do that? How can he take what your life has been? And, and I used to think I was born with a birthmark, a bullseye for God to shoot at. Because everything I turned, I touched turned to crap. Pardon me. Nothing worked. If I got better in it, the results would get even worse. It was amazing how unsuccessful a person could be. But there was a formula in it. A prophet came to me and said, this is how I'm going to do it with you. I'm going to send destruction into your life. And it's going to do it, destroy it. And then when everybody has given up hope, and everybody would include me, then I will do a work of my spirit, and there will be great success in your life. And everybody will know. It was God. So I have lived that formula for success. Because here's how it goes. You first die to all the things that you can do. The works of the flesh are nothing before God. You can get better and better and better and better and better and better. And it matters nothing to God. In fact, all your righteousness is like filthy rags before him. And you get better and better. They're still getting filthier and filthier until you bow down, break down, and say, you alone, God, deserve the glory. And bam, here comes the work of the Spirit. And here's a formula for success. I will restore. There's your formula. Y'all like that one? Oh, I think we've eaten this one. I think this congregation has dwelt in that rain. Oh, my God, for years we were in that thing. And then we capped it off with Psalm 139. And I think now he wants to turn it. Look at Ezekiel. There's one more scripture. You know, there was a prophet during that time when they were living through it. And he speaks to the same point. Ezekiel 34. They had just went into captivity. And so he's, he, they're not in good shape right now. They're not even out of captivity. But he has given them the word of the Lord. And I want you to hear what I just said. He is giving them the word of the Lord. It don't matter where you are in the process, what you want to hear is the word of the Lord. Because man lives by the word of the Lord. And he will take you to the wilderness so that you will learn man doesn't live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds out of his mouth. The word of the Lord. And then when you're tempted like Jesus was, and he's hungry after 40 days of fasting, and the uh, the devil says, turn these bread, these stones into bread, he says, no, no, no. Have you not heard? Man doesn't live by bread. He lives by what comes out of God, the mouth of God. Yeah. By every word of the Lord. Yeah. You will be able to resist your enemy. You will be able to subdue him because you're not serving him anymore. You're waiting for the word of the Lord. Yeah. And I don't care when it comes. For these guys that came at the worst moment of it all, they had lost. And they were living under the dominion of their enemy. And here comes the word of the Lord. Will you have faith for that? Ezekiel 34. 
23, I will establish one shepherd over you, and he shall feed them. My servant David, he shall feed them. He's talking about Jesus. He shall be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God. My servant David, a prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And I will make a covenant of peace with them. I will cause wild beasts to cease from the land. They will dwell safely in the wilderness and sleep in the woods. I will make them, uh, look at verse 26. I will make them and the places all around my hill a blessing. Is that what he told Abraham? I will make you a blessing. I want to take you back from this curse formula you're in, and I will put you right back where you started, if you'll listen to me. I will cause showers to come down in their season, and there shall be showers of blessing. Then the trees of the field shall yield their fruit, and the earth shall yield her increase. They shall be safe in their land, and they shall know that I am the Lord when I have, I love this, when I have broken the bands of their yoke and delivered them from the hand of those who enslaved them. Wow, that's how blessing looks to me. So I'm set free from the enemy that has ruled me. I said earlier that the first sign of blessing in the covenant was rain. So it's so in restoration. Look at Joel chapter 2. Joel 2. If there's ever been a scripture, there's a life scripture for me. It is Joel 2. Before I really got going in my ministry, God got me going in Joel 2. I have lived in this scripture. God began to show me that I'm going to test you in three ways. Relationships, finances, and in health. And what I have learned throughout these years, that the way he does this, he first takes you through Joel. And you will be destroyed. All the works of your flesh will be destroyed in every one of those areas. Then after it's destroyed and all hope is gone, then he'll do a work of his spirit. And there will be amazing success, wonders even. And everybody know God did that. That's Joel 2. Now, if rain is the sign of the covenant starting out, it, you'll find it's the same as far as when he restores you to the covenant. Joel 2, verse 25. I will restore. Now, verse 23. Be glad, you children of Zion, and rejoice in the Lord your God, for he has given you... The former rain faithfully, and he will cause the rain to come down for you. The former rain and the latter rain in the first month. The threshing floor shall be full of wheat, and the vats shall overflow with new wine and oil. And so I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. The crawling locust, the consuming locust, the chewing locust, my great army which I sent among you. And you shall eat in plenty. And be satisfied. And praise the name of the Lord your God, who has dealt wondrously, pala, with you. You dwelt in it. And my people shall never be put to shame. And you will know I am in the midst of Israel. Now, you know, I live this. And just like rain is a sign of the covenant at the beginning, it is a sign of the restoration as well. Now, I have a question to ask of you. 
the whole point of the two witnesses and where God is trying to lead us or we can occupy that place with him is that you have something to say. Or your life represents something of the walk with God. It's not just words, folks. It's what you've lived in. When you say it, it actually means something because you bought that T-shirt. Now, I just want to ask you a question. Does this church have a witness, a testimony concerning rain? We do. It's, it's the weirdest of all things. Remember 2011? That was the worst drought that I've ever seen in my life. Now, I ain't seen the worst drought ever. Just in my life, I've never seen one that bad. Have y'all? It was awful. And trees were still dying a few years later because of that drought. It was terrible. Man, you couldn't, you couldn't beg for rain. And then, just like Ezekiel did to these people, here comes a prophet with the word of the Lord. And it was Andy. You know, the, everyone's favorite, what is he saying, guy? And he calls me, you guys know the story. And he says, Larry, God's told me for you to tell him how much rain do you want? Thank God he did that on a Monday or a Tuesday, you know, when no one's around me. And I'm at my home where no one's around me. And, uh, and I, I had a moment. And I, I just challenged you on it a little bit earlier. When the word of the Lord comes, what are you going to do? You're going to blow it off? Oh, that's stupid. Or that doesn't agree with my theology. Well, good for you, old doctorate of. What are you going to do? And if you believe it, what are you going to do? Because that's what James said about being a bearer. If you just hear and don't do, you're like somebody that looks at the law of the mirror of the Lord and you, and you, be, you forget what you were. You've got to do it. So I thought, as foolish as this is, and it is really foolish to me, I'm going to do it. So, listen very carefully about what I'm about to say. I chose carefully the words that I spoke to God. Because Andy's, to me, was, you go tell God how much rain you want. I thought a long time on that, and I finally came out with this. I said, okay, God, then what I want is I want a Joel 2 type rain, a pleasant rain. Not a destructive rain. I want it to yield fruit and no destruction at all. Y'all heard me talk about this. You are my witnesses to that, right? I said that. What happened? It began to rain. And you know the story. I had to get there and speak in tongues in front of the crowd and everybody left. Have you noticed it? The power that God places in his witnesses when they hear the word of the Lord and speak is unbelievably powerful. Since that day, have we had a destructive 
tear the roofs off, rain. Not at all. I'm kind of going, dang, I wish I thought about that. I sure could stand another roof. Looks like a good old hell storm. Right? That was over seven years ago. Seven years. And there's no destruction. We've had some hard rain, but we ain't had that rip the roofs off rain, have we? It's been a pleasant rain. Have we lacked rain? Not really. We've had moments where it was, you know, not as, as good as it could be. But you go back and you look at the history of Andrews and the, and the amount of rain that we've gotten in those seven years, I guarantee you, we have nailed the average or gotten above. Unbelievable, isn't it? Do I feel like Superman? No. I feel like, why'd you pick on me? That's what I felt like. That's what God wants to do through you. What have you dwelt in? What has been your life experience with God? You are his witness to that. Y'all hear me? Don't be silent when it comes your turn. You should be instant, in season and out of season. When someone asks you why, you need to be able to say it. Don't be ashamed of the gospel of Christ. It's the power of God. For salvation to others. We've bought something here. God has given us an example here to move forward. Now there's more still ahead of us. Let's just keep reading here. Verse 28. After you purchase one of these amazing, this awesome thing that God will do with you. It shall come to pass afterward that I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Now, I want you to make this personal, especially you older dudes over 35, 40. I'm not going to be mostly anymore. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Well, that would be a freaking miracle. Like the rain on that day I was standing in my carport. Yeah, like that. Your sons, your daughters will prophesy. And your old men shall dream dreams. Boy, I, mean, I bought that one now. Your young men shall see visions. That's going on right now among us. And on my maid servants and men servants, I will pour out my spirit. I will show wonders in the heavens and in the earth. We've been talking about that. This is shaking. Blood, fire, pillars of smoke. The sun shall be turned to darkness. The moon shall be turned to blood before the coming of the great and awesome day of the Lord. Those two verses, 30 and 31, they are the second shaking. That's what it looks like. But, 32 is also there. And it shall come to pass that whoever calls on the name of the Lord shall be saved. For in Mount Zion and in Jerusalem there will be deliverance, as the Lord has said, among the remnant whom the Lord calls. Now, I want you to just think about what's been promised around the church, including this church. Y'all remember a few weeks ago, I played that prophecy from, was it Bob Jones? And he said that the Lord showed him that in 2020, there will be a big move of the Spirit, and that one billion people will be saved. 
That's about a year away or less if you start with Rosh Hashanah. One billion will be saved. Well, that's quite a promise, is it not? And it fits that scripture. And it's already been spoken by who? The prophets. And what did God say about them? Believe them so you can prosper. So we have that promise that in the time of the great shaking, there will also be this amazing outpouring of the Spirit to bring everybody in that will. And there will be a lot of people, you, you would think, they don't deserve it. Meth heads, prostitutes, all the down and outers. That's where he's going to go. That's where he will go. The ragheads over and, you know, what Dwayne calls it. The places that we don't want to go, the people that we don't want to be with, he's going to give them the formula for success. And a lot will be how they treat you. If they come to you and say, tell me, how did it work? With an honest heart, you can say, this is how God works with me. And bam, blessing comes upon them. Do we have that as a promise? I can believe it for everybody except my kids. How about you? It gets personal there, doesn't it? It gets too close for comfort. You mean I have to believe this and act like it in front of people that know me? Yeah, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Well, I proved that. Okay. Isaiah 44. Because it wasn't two weeks ago or three weeks or four weeks ago that another prophet comes trotting in here from California, the fruits of the nut section, with another word of the Lord. Al comes in here and he reads this to us and says, you need to believe this. For your children. Verse 1. Yet hear now, O Jacob, my servant, and Israel whom I have chosen. Thus says the Lord who made you and formed you from the womb, who will help you. Fear not, O Jacob, my servant, and you, Jeshurun, whom I have chosen. Look at verse 3. For I will pour water on him who is thirsty. What's the first sign of the covenant? Rain. Water. I will pour water. On him who is thirsty and floods on the dry ground, I will pour my spirit. On who? Your kids. Yeah, yours. Your descendants. And my blessing on your offspring. He's getting personal. They will spring up among the grass like willows by the watercourses. One will say, these are our kids, I am the Lord's. Another will call himself by the name of Jacob. Another will write with his hand, the Lord's, and name himself by the name of Israel. That's coming out of them, not you. That's a change, isn't it? It's not you forcing them into something. They're telling you. Thus says the Lord, the King of Israel, and his Redeemer, the Lord of the host. I am the first and the last. Beside me there is no God. And who can proclaim as I do? Then let him declare it and set it in order for me. Since I appointed the ancient people and the things that are coming and shall come, let them show these to them. Do not fear nor be afraid. Look at verse 8. Have I not told you from that time and have declared it? You are my witnesses. Israel, God beside me. His point is God is calling the church into this role at the end called the two witnesses. The beauty of this thing for me is that he's not left my kids out. In fact, he says, they 
are my witnesses. Now, can it be done? Really? Oh, up your faith a little bit, folks. How bad were you when you got saved? Some of you I know, and we don't want to go there, do we? God, I hope they never do to us what they did to Kavanaugh, go back to high school. Oh, my God. I don't even go back to the wink. Are you kidding me? It might get out. And so he's going to do what he promised, not just with you, but with your kids. The great harvest at the end, the billion souls that are going to be saved, he said most of them are going to be young. Thank you. So y'all ready? Now you gotta start acting like it. Okay? Act like God's going to use you. Get off these old rags that we used to carry around. Oh, I'm gonna be zipped out of here. And uh, you know what, guys? Old old people that used to hang with that. I used to hang with that. Don't you complain all the time, all you old folks that? Don't you complain all the time about the young people being in the entitled generation? Don't you always complain? Well, they're just entitled. What do you think that old, that old doctrine about getting zipped out of here before all the trouble hits is like to God? We're acting like a bunch of entitled brats. Seriously. Show me that in the Bible. With any of his people that have gone on before us. They are our witnesses. You know what I'm saying? Grow up. This once saved, always saved. Another entitlement doctrine. Really? Really? You selfish, spoiled, (laughs) golly, it's time to grow up. Be a man. Be a spiritual man. Get ready for what God has before us. He placed you at this time on this earth for this reason. Get over the other and let's do this. Amen. And I know some of you are going to go home and say, well, I just don't agree with that. Fine. Fine. <laughs> like Florida says, we are a stiff-necked people, aren't we, God? Okay. God bless you. <laughs> It is funny. It is funny. I kind of think I'm past that point about striking the rock. But I would like to kick some butt. I think there is a difference. Let's all stand. So here's how we're going to do this. God bless you. Amen. Amen.